This week on Heads and Tails, I'm joined by my friend Corey Weissman from Episode 6, and we traveled to Princeton University to interview Chuck DeBilio, who went from breaking Ivy League rushing records to being told he could never play football again when he suffered a life-threatening stroke after his freshman season. Chuck has some great advice on finding an identity after your sport is taken away from you, whether it's one game, a season, or even a career. But before we get things kicked off, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a five-star review. This helps spread our message further and further each week. You can also stay up to date on upcoming interviews by following us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. Heads is in multiple heads, the letter N, and then Tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. Same thing goes on Twitter at a P-O-D on the end of the handle, and also like us on Facebook. Detailed show notes for this particular episode can be found at headsandtails.org backslash podcast backslash 34. And I have no doubt a lot of you listeners out there are going to be able to relate to Chuck's story about when the game ends. This is Kevin Som, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. All right, so welcome back to another episode of the Heads and Tails podcast. If you haven't done so yet, go over to iTunes and Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. This will help us spread our message further and further each week. You can also stay up to date by following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can get detailed show notes um, at headsandtails.org backslash podcast. This week, I'm joined by Corey Weissman from episode six. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, go back and listen to how we went from a thousand to one. Um, and we're here in Princeton, New Jersey at Princeton University, uh, interviewing former Princeton football player and uh, soon to be Princeton graduate Chuck DeBilio, who, like Corey, is a stroke survivor. Uh, in Chuck's freshman season, he became the only Ivy League freshman running back to exceed 1,000 yards, and it was 1,068 to be exact, and he received all Ivy honors that season, and two months after, he actually suffered a stroke, and he was told that he could never play again. So today, uh, Chuck is going to take us through his athletic career and his transition to life after football, and I actually met Chuck at a CrossFit competition uh, at the old gym that I used to coach at, uh, Strengthworks CrossFit, and I judged him on a couple of events, and his athleticism was very obvious, um, but I had no idea about his story until my dad actually sent me an article about his story, and I was like, hey, I, I know that guy. Um, so I'm really excited to, that we could all get together and... Um, talk about Chuck's story. So just to start it off, um, what sports did you play growing up and you know, what was it about football that really stuck with you? So growing up, I mainly played football and basketball. Those were my two sports. When I was very young, I played every sport imaginable. was ice hockey, soccer, baseball, all that. Um, in high school, like I said, it became just football, basketball. And I actually, really early, I really wanted to play like college basketball but around freshman year of, yeah, Corey. Um, yeah, Corey's so, the basketball guy. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. So um, freshman year for basketball for me didn't go really well. Football went really well. And then we had this state um, state championship winning coach that came in who was going to turn the program around. And for I kinda, football? Yeah for, yeah, for football. And I was like, um, I kind of sat down with my dad one day and we were talking about it. And I was like, you know what, maybe like I should go like the football route. And then pivoted a little bit and went full force in the football and – that was pretty much the story. So, what about the basketball season that you like? That made you say it didn't go well. Like, did you just not play well? Or you felt like you like weren't up to the competition level at the school, or a little bit of both, I guess. Uh, I didn't play very well um, personally. I knew to the level I would like to play collegiate athletics. I didn't have the height or like 
or the basketball skills. I was more of like an athlete that played basketball. Um, I just felt like my natural abilities were more geared towards football. And I actually, I don't know, around that time, I was actually just liking football more than basketball. And I think just a combination of all those things is what made me make that decision. Awesome. One th- sorry, I need to uh, interject for a second. One thing that comes to my mind, and we'll talk a little bit after uh, about a documentary that they did on your story uh, that I think as many people as possible need to watch. Um, in that documentary, I saw uh, that you scored 1,000 points in high school playing basketball, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So I was a little taken back just now when you said that <laughs> you weren't impressed with your, uh, with your ba- basketball uh, skills. I mean, to me, that seems pretty impressive, but I guess that just goes to show uh, why you were so successful, even on the football field, um, you know, when you say that it was just your athletic ability, uh, but that just, you know, startled me a little bit, you know, scoring a thousand points, pretty impressive, but it goes to show just how, uh, you know, athletic you were and your abilities, uh, you know, to succeed in any sport, pretty remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Corey. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was, if you talk to anyone back home who watched me play like football, basketball, like they, you can just tell it's like, I was just an athlete that played basketball. Um, but yeah, I still I still like basketball. I still love playing it. So yeah. Do you think basketball helped you become a better football player? Oh, definitely. It's I think basketball is such a fl- like the movement involved in basketball is so, so fluent. It al- I think that kind of transferred to football a little bit. Like I'm kind of especially like football as a running back. I was like a one cut and go type person. Um, and I wasn't like it's not that I wasn't agile, but I wasn't. Um, how do I like? You run people flew, over, or? Kind, kind of, yeah, or like just break tackles. I wasn't, I wasn't shifty. Let's go with that. Okay, wasn't shifty, but um, I, I think can bat- relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So football gave me a little bit of that shifty type movement in, like, in the game, um, and also like more of like an aerobic base type uh, bass will help me a lot with that. All right, cool. So I can definitely see the transfer. All right. Well, uh, what injuries did you suffer from going into your college football career? Um, going into college, um, so freshman year of, so all like my high school type stuff. Yeah, really. Yeah. So high school, um, freshman year, I had like a drop foot where like I had like a, um, a disc in my back slipped, compressed the nerve and I couldn't control like the, pretty much couldn't control the movement of my foot for like three months. I went to like physical therapy for that and that came back. Going into senior year, it's actually kind of funny. It goes in with like the diagnosis of the stroke. Well, they tried using it for the diagnosis of the stroke. I... Going the senior year, I had a blood clot in my spleen, um, which was a big deal. It was like called like a splenic infarct, um, and I almost didn't play my senior year of football because of that. And then, how did you know that happened? Like, was, did you feel like stomach was, pain? Yeah, or? it was. It was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in. Pretty much, like I was vomiting like crazy, um, like terrible abdom- abdominal pains. Um, and then because of that, they brought me into the hospital. And at first, I thought. Like, I tore my spleen. It was, oh, I forget the guy's name, but um, a guy from the Dallas Cowboys, a tight end, a couple of years ago had it, like a lacerated spleen. Okay. They thought it was that, but I wasn't in football season, um, and the chance of it being basketball was very slim. So they kept looking, um, and they t- determined it was like a blood clot that restricted, like, blood flow to it. Um, and, yeah, so it, there wasn't anything they could do for it. Um, I have, like, like, 10% of my spleen spleen died or something like that um but again like it's not a big deal they were just more concerned about like the clotting factor okay but they couldn't find anything they're like just go play football i had like a rib protector and that's about it all right yeah and then i had a, sh- I had a uh, concussion senior year first game senior year actually how'd that happen it was wasn't a hit it was like when i, when I hit the ground i had like a slit my neck kind of slingshotted um into the turf and i after that 
I had like no recollection of what was going on. Um, like like sec- immediately after. Um, I actually lost memory even before like the hit. Oh, weirdly. Wow. So like, um, with, like a minute left in the second quarter. I like felt like I woke out of a dream, and I did no recollection of like what happened except for the first like five minutes of the game, and then they kind of told the coaches, and then I sat out the rest of the game like smartly. Um, I'm like, but me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, it was very, really weird situation, but that's, yeah. Were there any other like instances during your football career where you like probably had a concussion? Yeah. Freshman year of college, I had like a speed sweep going across and like the tight end completely missed the D end and the guy just, thanks a lot, dude. Me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> After the game, I was like, really like, <laughs> cause I was just running full speed. The guy just comes and just wails me. Um, and like, I, I wasn't unconscious at all or like, I didn't have any lack of memory, but like the next three, four plays, my vision was a little blurred and like, I couldn't hear the crowd. Um, but you didn't say anything. Uh, that one. No, I definitely should have. I didn't. But the first, the first one was a lot worse, and I said it right away. <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? Because I didn't. I did, honestly, at the time, I don't think I was like inclined or knew enough about concussions. I think it was a concussion. I thought it was just like, oh, my bell got rung a little bit, like um, the old bell ringing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> right. I didn't. I, maybe I just didn't have enough knowledge of the situation because I knew like something was like a little up. But I didn't think it was like that devastating. Like after the game, I felt like fine. So I was like, okay, it's probably just nothing. But, like, looking back on it and, like, actually going through the stroke and, like, having more knowledge about just brain trauma in general, general I was like, yeah. oh, man, I definitely should have reported that. Yeah, as a soon-to-be athletic trainer, that's something <laughs> that we're trying to spread is, uh, you know, there's no such thing as just getting your bell rung. Uh, as Kevin knows, it could be turned into a very, uh, very serious injury and, you know, life-altering experience. Uh, so, as you know, like I said, as a soon-to-be athletic trainer, that's something that we're trying to spread uh, awareness about concussion and uh, if you you know get hit and you, you feel like uh, you know you're acting a little differently and things don't feel right, you know be sure to spread the message to a friend, an athletic trainer, a medical staff, whoever it may be. Yeah, Corey could go to jail if he didn't say that. That's <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. I had to put that in there. To I save always myself say there. athletic trainer saved my life. That's so. right. All right, we kind of got the college football a little sooner than I thought, but what uh, what kind of like strength training did you do in high school and what were some of your accolades as a high school athlete were you like all state or did, did you win a state championship like you had, had mentioned yeah sure so strength conditioning um in high school it was primarily with our head football coach did everything um we would do like we would have like a main lift like squat bench clean something like that and it would usually be like be like a week progression weekly progression it like be like three set of like 10 then like go as like 8 6 4 um, for this, the reps for each set and stuff like that, um, and then I don't know, it was just it was just general, just generally just working hard in the weight room, be like an hour, hour and a half of like weightlifting and then some running afterwards. However, I would always do way too much, and I've like especially in high school, I'd like had a problem overtraining a lot because um, I would either go to like I had, there was a couple like speed uh, places I would go to um, like once or twice a week, and then if I didn't have that, I would just be like dragging sleds or something like that. So nothing really in particular, just I just, just getting loved, after it. Pretty much. I just love, I don't know. Yeah, Chuck's pretty jacked, so he's yeah. doing something, right? Whatever he's yeah. doing. I, exactly. I've always had a love for just working out. Like even like in high school and college, I almost liked working out more than actually playing. playing. Yeah. So I've always, I always had like an inkling for it. That's interesting that yeah. you say that because 
that's probably what makes like separates a average athlete from a above average athlete. Because I'm thinking of my friend Mike Burton, who plays for the Detroit Lions. He's he was the exact same way. Really? Like he killed it in the games, but he also like you couldn't take him out of the weight room because he was like constantly in there. Uh huh. Um, that's funny. I don't know if you know this. Uh, Karan Reed. I played with him. He was a defensive tackle here. He's with the Lions too right now. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I try. I did an interview with Mike, and I'm hoping to post it soon i'm waiting on approval from his agent but that would be a, a good interview too yeah all right what do you credit your athletic success to is it the like hard work in the weight room or part of it like did you have brothers and sisters who kind of pushed you or? so definitely the weight room and just working out um especially like in high school i just thought hard work which is 100 percent correlated to success however i quickly realized that's not exactly the case it's a big part of it but not all of it so I feel like I do have some something I can't like not just me but just successful people in general. Some people have like better genetics or have like a better mindset, but there's just some there's a lot of things you can't really label or quantify um for success and I'm really happy that whatever that is within me that I was allowed that allowed me to be a successful athlete. I was very happy I I did. Um but in terms of things that I could control and things in my life, definitely like the work ethic when it comes to the weight room and things like that. All right, cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to put your high school highlights and your <laughs> highlights from uh, your Princeton football days in the show notes for everyone to see. They're pretty impressive. So. <laughs> Thanks. All right, so let's talk about the your your transition to college football. And can you talk about, like, the differences in the level of play? And you said that you, met, you got a concussion. And maybe talk about the recruiting process and, like, why you chose Princeton. Yeah, so um, I chose – I pretty much I chose Princeton. I had three offers. I had Lehigh, Lafayette, and Princeton. I'm actually live in between Lehigh, Lafayette. They're both like 10, 15 minutes from me. Um, and honestly, it just came down to like academics. I was like, it's nothing against those two schools. They're like amazing, but yeah, I couldn't. Right. You get an offer from Princeton, yeah, you pretty much. I was, right, yeah, exactly. I was like, be an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like I could get into the Ivy League school. Like if it wasn't for football, I would have no shot. I was like, I should probably take this. Yeah. Um. So that's pretty much why I chose Princeton. And like when it comes to like the transfer from high school to college, it was, like, so different. I came in. So Princeton is really cool. It's called um, FSI program, Freshman Scholar Institute, and it pretty much takes a lot of athletes and some kids who might struggle getting it, like, starting, like, an Ivy League education because they've been, like, the public school or just, like, low-income neighborhood or anything like that. Um, and it's primarily, like, athletes. And so I got to come here for that and got to train with the team. That's cool. I never heard anything of like anything oh, really? like that, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really it – was it helped me so much. It was nice to meet a bunch of people before freshman year even started. Who kind of like, came from the same place as you, too. Like yeah, similar exactly. Similar upbringing. Yeah, too. exactly. And – but, yeah, so I was able to work out with the team then. And I got here, and I was like, God, these guys are, like, enormous, mm. like, faster, stronger. I'm like – Oh man, like, I, like I'm gonna work as hard what as did I, I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right. I was like, I'm just trying to like get on the field, just like stay, like, like just trying to like keep up with these guys. Um, but yeah, so it was like a, it was a huge. Uh, this one I got here, which was a huge like wild type moment in my life. And when it comes to like actually gameplay, I was actually surprised. Like, speed of the game, it, the speed of the game didn't affect me as much. I didn't think it was that big of a like, of a change, but it was just the physicality was like people wanted so, to hit. Yeah, yeah, like people are bigger, stronger. And, like, the physicality really got to me more than the speed of the game did. All right. Um, what were your expectations going into your freshman season? Like, did you think you were going to play at all? Or did you so, want to try to play at all? Or so after, you know, getting hit a few times, like, maybe I don't want to play? <laughs> right. Yeah. So coming in, uh, especially in that summer training and, like, through camp and that, like, my main goal is just, like, 
get on the field, get like a carry to a game, something like that. I just wanted to like contribute, um, and like a little bit more like special teams. I wanted to like get on offense, like a, like maybe. A Do guys redshirt at all at um, Princeton or not really? We don't have red shirts. You can take. So the thing is, obviously, like in NCAA, you have like the four years of eligibility within five years. So what happens is that. A lot of guys, um, and actually, a wire, my one friend, uh, Seth DeBabu, he just got drafted for the Browns. He didn't use his four years of eligibility, but he could. So then, what he did is he took his senior spring off and then came back and finished the following f- fall semester, played, and he's going to graduate with me now. Okay, gotcha. So there's no redshirt, but you can take a semester off and then play the following fall in the football season, like finish your school there. Gotcha. And then wait a half a semester before you graduate. Corey, how do they do it in Division Three? Do they redshirt in Division Three too? Or? Uh, no, there's no official uh, redshirt, I don't I don't believe. But I, I, I think it's pretty similar. Like you have four years of eligibility. So for whatever reason, if you're in school for more than four years, I'm sure uh, if, if you don't play, let's say your freshman year, uh, you can play your extra semester okay. or your extra year. I was just curious. And what major did you end up choosing? So I'm an economics major. Um, I minor in computer science, and I actually kind of like the computer science stuff more. Like I found it too late, or else I would have done that. Uh, what, what do you like about it? I don't know. I because I you like coding and like making mm-hmm. apps and stuff. Or yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Good like money la- there. Yeah. So like last summer, I did um, software engineering at this place called Trifecta Technology, and it was like really cool. Um, and like I actually do like that kind of stuff. Um, I, th- I don't know. I think it's just really cool that. Like, cause computers, computers are just so fast um, in just their calculations. And then if you have, like, if you combine the more, like, qualitative type thinking of humans and the more faster quantitative analysis of computers, like, you can just do, like, amazing things, like, amazing calculations. Um, and actually, so I do like that kind of stuff, but I just know, like, I couldn't do it as a career because I, I can't sit in front of a computer for eight All hours day, a day. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting, like, topic for me. Awesome. All right, so now let's get into what led up to your stroke. Okay, cool. So you, you mean like how the football season yeah. went or uh, yeah. the yeah. day yeah. of? Or? Yeah, you take, us, take us through the season, and you broke uh, the Ivy League rushing record for a fre- for freshman. No one's yeah, ever yeah eclipsed 1,000 yards, which is like insane. To Yeah, I wanted to make sure we touched on that a little bit. You seem like a very humble person, but – uh, after watching the documentary and seeing that you're a part of history, the only freshman I think to this day, even no one, no freshman has done it. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, that's gotta yeah, go right back now. like a hundred years, right. right? Like so, yes and no. So the Ivy <laughs> League, so the Ivy League has been um, been around for like two hundred years or something like that. However, um, it's only been like maybe like thirty years that freshmen can actually like play in the varsity games. So right, so it's like a thirty year type deal right now still still pretty impressive yeah right? i mean i'm really like i'm really happy that i was able to accomplish right. that um especially because i think like i so the previous like number the number two guy right now it's like 400 yards or something like that big difference so i was like when I, like when i did when i did it like week five or something like that i was like oh man this is really cool like <laughs> the season's going a lot better than i expected it to <laughs> yeah. So much for just getting one or two carries a game. Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. <laughs> Let's make history. <laughs> yeah. So what was going through your head when you were, like, breaking the records and rushing for over 100 yards every game and yeah. scoring touchdowns? So, yeah. So, like, first game, it was against Lehigh. And like I said, like, I – it's, like, my hometown. And, like, when I was younger, I actually lived across the st- from the stadium at Lehigh. And we'd go like, watch the games all the time. So I was really, like, excited to play Lehigh my first game. And 
Um, I got like a couple of carries, like first half, and like got like a couple of good runs. I was like, oh, nice, it's going really well. And then second half, I kept getting more and more, and I was like, oh man, like this is great. And then that continued through the first like couple games, and I was like, wow, it's going like a lot better than normal. And then it was kind of funny because like originally my goal was like, okay, like. I just want to get on the field. But then once I did that, my goals automatically like shifted forward and was like, okay, like now, like I, I don't know, like I want to like get like a hundred yards a game or it's like, um, at, at that time I was like, like a little further back in like the league for it comes to rushing. I was like, okay, let's like try and climb the leaderboard and stuff like that. Right. Um, and it was cause I didn't really notice at the time. I didn't recognize that, that I was able, I was accomplishing these goals, but I, it just never hit my hit me because I was like, once I did, I just, I just further like, I just, got, I, your, yeah, I just, right. I just, I just kept pushing out like what my expectations were, and it was. So you're kind really of just weird. making goals on the fly, as kind you, of. As you beat one, you just added right. another. You one. didn't yeah. want to become uh, complacent. You hit one goal, and it's like, all right, let's keep going, let's get the next yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Which is what most you know true athletes uh, are like. Yeah. However, I do wish that I did recognize that at the time and was like, okay, like. And, like take a moment and be like, okay, congratulations. Like, enjoy it. Right. Enjoy yeah. it a little bit more as opposed to – because then if you just keep do, pushing your, like, expectations out, you're never going to succeed what you want to do and, like, really be happy in what you're doing. So I was really – like, I, I looking back, I wish I did, but at the same time, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, something to be proud of for sure. So after the season was over, what was your goal for the next season to be the leading rusher? Or? Yeah, so – the last game, it was actually so I so I so at the at the end of the season, going to the tenth game, I was like twenty five yards behind the leading guy, and no freshman ever got the rushing title. So going into that last game, I was like, oh man, like this is what I really want to do, and then I didn't. I and actually we were actually playing the other guy, um, oh, the okay. number one guy in the game, and he like he was a phenomenal athlete and like had an amazing game had like 150 yards or something like that and i ended up with like 50 he had a really bad game tell your defense to be like dude what the hell <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah blame someone guy. else <laughs> um but anyway so like i was all disappointed um and where was i going <laughs> where was i going with this i was just i was disappointed um at that and again i guess i should have been more like hey like you had an awesome year like you did yeah. so much better than you expected and yeah yeah i did so much better than i expected i should been like be like okay like enjoy what you did type of deal at that moment but i didn't um however like in my life now it's kind of what i kind of like you learn try to from do. that yeah, yeah. Okay. exactly but so like going like into like the off season that like i just wanted i don't know i just wanted to keep it there wasn't actually the off season it wasn't anything i really wanted to do like obviously i think the only thing was really it's like get the rushing title next year but i just wanted to like train hard like gain like gain some weight um be able to really take like the brute of like all the carries I was getting and stuff like that. And I just wanted to just improve in general. And then that's kind of what led up to the stroke then. All right. Let's talk that's, about that's that. that. Yeah. Let's hear about that's why this, we're all uh, here. Stroke. All right. So, um, so Princeton's actually really weird and we take our finals after winter break. So I'd say that's pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've never heard of any other place that does that. So when you come back, you have like a week and a half of just study time and then a week and a half of finals. So it was in that time period in January where I was studying for my math final with a bunch of friends, and I forget if we were—I forget exactly what we were doing, but we were explaining there was a problem on the board, and we were just kind of like talking about it, trying to get through it. And I was explaining something involving with the problem, and my voice just started slurring. Um, I couldn't pronounce anything, and at that point, I was still like, I knew what was going on. I was like, okay, you, this and is, you remember this? Yeah, I have—I I remember everything. I kind of describe it as like, I, I, I was like, I was out of it, but I was able to recognize everything that was going on. 
Um, it was I was like almost like a fog type of deal. Like an outer body experience, somewhat. Like you you were you were looking down. Um, not so much. Like I was in my body. It was I don't know. I, I just say I like, was in my body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I it was just I just felt like I was in like a fog. It okay. was like I don't know, it was a very weird experience. Like I I remember exactly everything would happen. Um but at the time it was like, yes, yeah, something's going on, but like I didn't realize this is bad, like this is not this shouldn't be happening type of right, deal. Right. Um but yeah, so my voice started slurring and um I like was freaking out and then I like twenty seconds later the right side of my body was paralyzed. I couldn't move my right arm, right leg. And then they called um 911, my friends that were with me called 911 and they called like the head coach because like they didn't really know like what if that's if they should do anything else or things like that. And so 911's probably a good start. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, think of, I mean, like if I was in their situation, like I have no idea what was going on, like I'd be freaking out too. Right, right. So I, I have to ask, did they ever, did your friends ever say anything about um, what your face looked like at the time? They said, uh, the yeah, stroke? the right side of my face was drooping too. Okay, right. So that's, uh, that's very important. So the acronym I'm sure at this point you've heard for a stroke is FAST, face, arm, speech, uh, and then time, you know, to get help, uh, you know, because it is an emergency. So that's, just for the listeners out there, uh, it's something that's important for everyone to know, not just medical uh, personnel, but just, you know, your average uh, person, God forbid you're ever in a situation like that. You know, it sounds like you had the typical, you know, face, arm, speech, uh, and then luckily they got you medical attention very quickly. And I was fortunate uh, as well that, uh, you know, and I had the same things, face, arm, speech, you know, mine was the left side of my body uh, was paralyzed, but you know, that's something just for any listeners out there, God forbid you're ever in that situation. Um, you know, it's something important to, you know, keep in mind. And and just you guys both experienced a stroke and what I'm thinking, like now that you're an athletic trainer, so you know do they teach you about strokes in athletic training school? Yeah, yeah, briefly. Uh it's it's more of um we'll come into play more in that uh time uh aspect of the acronym as far as, you know, okay, this is not what we handle. Let's refer. We you know, we obviously um, you know, we'll get 911 as soon as we could. We're not trained to handle um, and don't have the medical equipment to handle such a serious uh, event like that. But in my case, the athletic trainer was actually the first um, medical personnel uh, to help as well. Um, they, you know, recognized, again, face, arm, speech, uh, time, and they called 911 right away and said, you know, we have an athlete here that's having a stroke. Right. We think he's having a stroke. So, you know, where we come to play is more of a, you know, we're trained and we, we know the signs and symptoms um, but that's also why I think uh, it's important just for everyone to, to know. And I, I like to spread uh, stroke awareness because if you do see those uh, symptoms or, or signs, uh, you know, it's something that you could identify right away and, you know, get medical attention. You don't even need to be a medical professional to uh, recognize something like this. Right. Um, but, uh, and that yeah. reminds me, too, is that both of you had teammates kind of help you to get, you know, to – you know, medical right. attention, right? right. So your, Corey, your friend, brought you to athletic, athletic training room, and then your football buddies called 911. So they both recognized that. So I think that's important not only in, you know, for strokes, but, like, something like concussions too. Like, right. you've got to look out for your teammates. Like, you will probably know if something's wrong. I was telling my friends all week that my head was freaking killing me, but I played anyway. But at the time, like, they didn't really know about concussions. So I think – Looking out for your teammates is something that you should not only do on the field, but also off the right, field too. Right, absolutely. Yeah, um, all right, so let's talk about kind of what they did to fix your stroke and 
you know, what are the odds of you surviving and, and yeah, all that. So um, after I called 911, the ambulance came and took me to the Princeton Hospital. And they realized, like, I had they, – they found the clot. Um, they injected me with, like, the TPA, like, the clot-busting drug, and it didn't work. So they helicoptered me over to uh, Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. And there they performed the penumbra procedure, which is they pretty much take this wire. They injected it around your groin area and go through your body up to your brain and then inject that TPA, that drug, directly into the clot. And then luckily that worked. Um, honestly, at that point, I was very out of it. Um, so I don't know what like the probability they gave my parents and stuff like that. I know if that didn't work, chances are I'd either be like in a very comatose type state or even possibly unlikely or unlucky, like not even be here at this moment. So right. thank God that procedure did work. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much like how they were able to remove the clot. And how are you affected by the stroke in terms of like, was it physical? Was it cognitive? You know? So it was a hundred percent cognitive. I had, um, unlike we were Corey and I were talking, you were there. Corey and I were saying like we had like the exact opposite experience where I had no physical um, limitations from the stroke. It was all cognitive. For me, it was everything revolving around um, language processing. I like I couldn't read. I I couldn't read, write, or speak. Pretty much, um, it's like I could physically speak. I just couldn't do it in a way that you would understand what I was saying. And it was actually very weird because, like, in my mind, I knew exactly what I wanted to communicate. I just couldn't put it – I couldn't make the connection between my head, my brain and my mouth to maybe be able to put it in a form that you would understand. Gotcha. Was gotcha. that frustrating? Very frustrating. Like, you know, sitting there trying to talk to your mom and, uh, you know, wanting to just tell her something. And, you know, in your head, you know what you're trying to say. And, you know, did she just – were you able to see that she was just there with a – a vacant stare, not understanding what you're yeah. saying, you know, was that something that was very frustrating for you? Um, yeah. So even like the first couple of days in the hospital, I was still kind of out of it. Um, but after like day four or something and then going forward, I could definitely tell, like, like I could, like you could see, you said the vacant stare. Um, you could just tell, excuse me, like, I could tell that I wasn't making sense. Um, and I could tell that they had no idea what was going, what I was trying to communicate with them. Um, and yeah, it was very, honestly, it was very frustrating, but it was also just a very weird experience. Right. Because that, you know, that's something we take for granted, right? Like we're sitting here talking and the words are just coming out. We know what we want to say and the words are coming out. You know, my situation, mine was motor control. So I was sitting there and I wanted my left arm, you know, to move and it just wasn't moving. Uh, you know, so I, I, I could relate there and you know, that's definitely a weird experience, right? Yeah. We're very you know, humbling think, experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now when we're, you know, sitting here talking and you're, you know, I hope, you know, I'm sure now you appreciate just being able to, uh, you know, get out what you're trying to say. Um, you know, you're about to graduate college. So, you you know, you had a from Princeton, trip, right from Princeton. Yeah. <laughs> after a brain quite, injury. Right, yeah. After after having a stroke, quite a task. Um, but, yeah, I just think that's like very, very interesting. Uh, you know, just listen, uh, talking to someone who had the opposite of me. I've actually never talked to someone who had the stroke that uh, affected their speech and, um, you know, cognitive as much as uh, motor control. Uh, so that's just very, very interesting for me. So I can relate on the the, um, the topic of not being able to do what your brain is telling you to do. Um, but as far as just not being able to speak, I can't imagine that. And I, I can't imagine how frustrating that must have been. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's frustrating experience. Right. So what was your rehab slash recovery like? Like what kind of stuff did you have to do to gain that cognition back? So, uh, so pretty much I when it was oh my goodness what was it called um good shepherd uh rehabilitation in Allentown 
Um, it's really close to where I live back home. And I would do speech therapy three times a week for like an hour. Um, and there was a bunch of different things I tried. Um, towards the end, the, the usual training mechanism that I would use is I would have this like metronome, like they would have a metronome playing in the background pretty much. And I had this like buzzer on my hand and I'd like match the tempo on like my leg, like bouncing the, the sensor on my hand against my leg to match the metronome. But at that same time I would have, Wait, what's a metronome? Um, like it's, it's they use in like music. It's like a boom, boom, okay. boom. And you yeah, said it's it different speeds. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just, it just keeps tempo. Okay. Like it's, yeah. So, so pretty much like, like, let's say like for like a minute, it would beep every one second pretty much. So, and I would have to like match that tempo with my one hand and then my other hand, there'd be a, like a word association game or like Scrabble. Like there'd be like four tiles on the, on, or like four tiles on the table and I'd like make a word with my left hand, but then I also keep the metronome with like my right hand. That sounds hard. <laughs> yeah, so, so I had to ask, at, at some point were you, because I know uh, for me, the physical therapy and occupational therapy uh, were a lot more, not enjoyable, but I liked those a lot more than speech therapy. For me, I didn't need as much speech therapy, but early on, uh, I did have some cognitive uh, deficits. So my speech therapy sometimes consisted of, you know, two plus four, you know, equals what? And it's like you're, that, you know, I was 19 years old at the time, a uh, college student, and I couldn't process what two plus four was yeah. or, you know, basic things like that. Uh, you know, how long, and you know, it's it's 5.45, how long until 6 o'clock. I know for me, not being able to, again, you know, your brain is saying that's an easy thing. I know that. You know, did you have similar things oh, early yeah, on? Yeah, 100%. So the first session I had with um, with Good Shepherd, they had me try and write like three set like a sentence, and I, I just couldn't do it. Like, mm. It was something just like say like three things about yourself in like a sen- in like three sentences, and I just couldn't do it. Like, and that was the, that point. I was like, oh man, like that's when it really hit me at that point right. where I was like, oh man, like I might not be able to like finish school because of this type of deal. Um, so yeah, I went through that. Like, definitely went through that, and yeah, it was just, like you said, it's really weird. It's like your brain saying this is easy, but you. You're not doing it. Right. <laughs> it's got to be super frustrating. So what was the lowest point that you got to in your recovery? Lowest point? Um, I mean, honestly, that would probably be the point where I, like, where football wasn't, like, an option anymore. Should I, should I go along with that? Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Okay, <laughs> sure. So, I mean, obviously, I was, like, very disappointed along the process of learning how to read, write, speak again. However, I saw the progress, like, from session to session, from week to week, I could tell, like, okay, like, this is improving, like, at, like, a very fast rate. So, I'm, like, I'm happy with this. Like, I feel – I was very comfortable and, like, confident that, like, I was going to get to a level where I could return back to Princeton. Um, however, I'm trying to think here. So, I – so, uh, like, I fought the team dog here forever to try and play. And then when she finally made the decision, no, you can't, uh, that was probably, like, the deepest point. I mean – I I think for me, like I said, I kind of knew that I was going to learn how to get my language processing back. However, I didn't know football was going to come back again. And I think in my mind that, like, football, like, being me, me being able to play again was going to be, like, the, like, story storybook ending like of from the stroke. It's, like, that was, like, yes, I made it. I'm back type of deal. And for me to get, like, that far, get, like, all my language processing back again, like, training all this time, and then her just, like, cutting it off, be like, no, you can't. That was, like, 
man, like I like I want that storybook ending. It's almost like the championship at the at the end of the year type of deal. Right. And that was really horrible. And that was so like when she called, I <laughs> actually funny. Like I went to the gym right after. So yeah. um, like I was all disappointed, and I drove to the gym, and like um, at that I was training at this place called Made Strength and Conditioning, and they he had like a sled in the back. So I would like for like an hour, I was just like pounding on the sled, like like got a football and just like pretty much doing what I would like, like doing you know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff, yeah, just just like lower my shoulder and just going, and I was just like. <laughs> cursing and throwing water bottles and just, I don't know. I was just trying to get all my angry out. And then they also had like a punching bag. So I went over there. I was like pounding on that for like half an hour. And at that point I was like, okay, like I need to like wind it down. Like I was like, I was just exhausted enough where I was like, I wasn't as angry as much. I was still angry, but not like cursing or anything like that. And then at the end of that for like 45 minutes, an hour, I just kind of took a quick jog around from, from Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And I just took a jog around Nazareth like, went to the high school, like, went to, like, the football field and just went up and down the street, just kind of, like, reminiscing a little bit. And that calmed me down a lot. Um, however, I was still, like, for that week, I was just, like, down in the dirt, like, little, like, depressed state type of deal. And I I think I think that was the right way to go about it for that week. I was, like, I allowed myself to... Get the anger out. Yeah. Like, get the anger out, remorse, like, allow myself to just be, like, blah. But then after that week, I was, like, you know what, like... All right, I I got my downtime. Like that's good enough. Like I need to like start picking myself up again. And at that point, where I was, I mean, it wasn't like a switch. It was more of a steady progression. But like I was able to like get like get my happiness back, my energy back. Just kind of kind of deal with the situation. And it was like, okay, like I'm not playing. I need to like start. This is like a new challenge. It's like how me trying to learn to get re- learning how to rewrite speak again. It's just a new challenge in my life that I'm gonna have to attack. So. I started, I went back and like started working out again and just, I don't know, just trying to live like a normal life again. So how do you, uh, if, if I could uh, interrupt, so that's something that, uh, you know, all athletes kind of feel, right? When we play sports, it's like our identity. You know, you said you grew up playing, you know, every sport, you know, possible. You're a star here at Princeton playing football. Uh, so that's your identity, right? And then all of a sudden you lose that. So you feel like you lost your identity. Yeah. You're not yourself again. Um you know, so that's something that a lot of people face. So how did you go about, uh, you know, moving forward? How did you go about, uh, you know, getting past, all right, I'm not going to be uh, the old Chuck. I need to create a new Chuck. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be the same person. Uh, you know, how did, moving forward, how did, how did you, like, find the strength? Because, you know, that's an obstacle that a lot of people face is, like, you know, big adversity in their life. And, you know, there's fear, doubt, there's uncertainty. Like, man, like, this stinks. Like, how, how did you you know, personally move forward with that. Yeah. I'm actually kind of glad you asked that. So one of the biggest parts of my recovery, especially from a psychological standpoint, um, I was lucky enough to be able to have um, this guy named Jared Spencer from my athlete. He's my sports psychologist. And I started working with him along the way because I was like depressed, like earlier in the stage where I was like, am I going to play again? Even if I have the option, do I want to play again? And like stuff like that. So I started seeing him and he helped me so much. I literally, like, I, I literally don't, like, I would be scared to see, like, like I, I just, I just can't imagine what my life would, my psych, psyche right now would be like if it wasn't for Jared. Um, he gave me, like, especially with, like, high school and that, I kind of, like, suppressed any emotions I had in general. And well, I was, it's like sports. It's, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. sports in general. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I suppressed it and, like, that was my only mechanism when it comes to emotional health. But he, taught me and gave me the tools to 
deal with any emotional problems you have and uh, like other other ways to deal with it. Give me more tools in my toolbox when it comes to my emotional health. And with, like with everything he taught me, that helped me so much when it comes to trying to for me be able to identify myself, like come up with a new identity after football. And pretty much his one like his one of his models, which pretty much is my like life model now. It's called like follow the energy, which is pretty much like whatever you're doing in life, like try like try and find and do those things in life that gives you that like feeling down and like the pit of your stomach that's like you feel alive. It's like that energy that oh my goodness, like this like I love this. It's such a natural high type deal. And that's pretty much how I kind of approached fine like that because so football gave me that feeling. It was like right, right, that, right. and that's oh what my, you miss. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, so I was like, okay. So football gave me that feeling. So I'm almost guarantee you something else is gonna give me that feeling. So I tried everything. That's how I got into like computer science and tech and that. Um, I tried meditation. I tried doing like more like bodybuilding type working out. Um, did I say did I say meditation yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did that. I loved. I got into like Buddhist philosophy. Like anything. I, like I just searched for everything to just see that something that gave me that like feeling in my stomach. And um, you might like go over this later, but like the one thing that really got me was CrossFit, and that's what like that's what really gave me that feeling, like that energy. And even like even though I found something that really like gives me that feeling in life, I still try and find other things. I still try right. to follow that energy. But however, like that model kind of helped me find my new identity. It was just whatever makes me feel alive, the stuff that I'm going to do. That's really cool. Do, do you think you're uh, – would, would you say you're a better, better person, a stronger person today because of uh, your stroke? Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. I mean, that was – it was a huge challenge in my life. It was a huge pivotal point in my life. Um, it made me approach life and so differently – um, I don't know, it was just a huge aspect of my life. And I think, I mean, personally, I feel like I went about it in the right way. Right. And after, I feel like it's almost impossible to not come out like stronger. Right. At the end of the right. Under end. Because, you know, that's something that everyone faces, right? We all have obstacles of mm -hmm. different severities yeah, no and, you know, some small, some big, um, you know, and I think a lot of times it's hard for people to, you know, while they're going through the obstacles to realize that they could come out on the other side, you know, bigger, stronger than they were. Uh, you know, when they were faced with the obstacle. So one of the things I like to say, you know, when you're faced with an obstacle, take the first step. Don't be scared of the, um, you know, the fear, the doubt, the uncertainty of not, uh, you know, overcoming the obstacle, but say, you know, I'm going to beat this thing and I'm going to come like you did, you know, I'm going to come out and be a bigger, you know, stronger, better person. Yeah. I honestly, I really like that, Corey. And it's actually kind of funny. Like, so I did this speech a couple, I didn't tell you guys, I should have told you this earlier, but I did this speech like a month or two ago. And Michael Irving was also talking there, and he was talking about the same thing. It's like, it's like he relates it to like football. He's like, in any like life challenge you have, it's like, don't try and aim for the end zone right away. It's like, just get that first down. Right. It's like, take those little chunks, go step by step, and then eventually, yeah, you're gonna get to the end zone. However, like you're like, it's almost impossible to get like the touchdown the first time. Just right. keep getting those first downs, and eventually, like you'll get there. Right. I always use like the football analogy. Um, for like overcoming obstacles, like, and you can relate to this too. Like I always say, like it's third down and three yards to go, and everyone in the stadium knows that you're getting the ball. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, you just gotta freaking lower your shoulder and find a way to, you know, get those three yeah, yards. Right. And like when I think about like when even something little that comes up in my life now, I'm like, just freaking suck it up, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah, just freaking yeah. lower your shoulder yeah, and get through. Yeah, Don't get be such a freaking it. pansy. Yeah. Right. Right. So that that's like what helps me. That's like the thoughts yeah. that I tell no, I like myself. I'm I like, like both of those. Those are really good. Yeah, Corey, did you 
like talk to any sports psychologists at all after your? I did. I, we we didn't have a, a sports psychologist per se at Gettysburg, but we had. I did actually. You know, I was going through a lot of depression, which is something that you know is very common with strokes. And I I went and just saw um you know a therapist at Gettysburg. Uh, he had a sports background, but not you know an right, exactly yeah, like a sports title, psychologist. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's something that helped me a ton. I was you know going through a hard time, and it was. Uh, you know, I had to find a new identity, you know, like you were saying, you know, you lost football, I lost basketball, and it's like, you know, where where am I going to find this new Corey? I lost the, the Corey that I once was, um, you know, and I feel like that's one of the biggest obstacles that, you know, it sounds like me and you both faced, um, you know, and it just comes down to uh, appreciating what you do have, right, making the most of, uh, you know, what you do have to this day and recognizing that this terrible thing, you know, actually could turn into a blessing in disguise, yep. you know. Um, did, do you have any like specific like tips or something that your sports psychologist told you? I saw a sports psychologist after my injury too. And for anyone who's listening to this, who is going through either a similar injury or obstacle in their life and they haven't go to talk to someone, um, I definitely highly recommend it. You could tell just from this conversation that, you know, all of us have benefited from seeing a therapist or psychologist or whoever. Um, so was there anything specific, um, besides the, the phrase that was it go Uh, towards the energy, follow follow the the energy. energy? Yeah. Um, nothing. No, there's no, pretty much there was no one rule. I think the one thing he really helped me with was that another one of his analogies is that like when it comes to like emotional health, there's no one like fix, fix all type cure. Right. And he always says like, when it comes to like emotional health, you have like a toolbox and like my goal is to supply you with all the tools for that to be able to pick which one will work for that situation and go from there. And he has a bunch of different things. Um, actually, I think he actually has a uh, mailing list if anyone would want to, I can um, put it in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, I can. I'll give that to you. Um, and he sends out like weekly emails and stuff like that for a bunch of different things, and it's really cool. Um, but I guess also like taught me about like talks about like the head. Ever hear of like the hedgehog concept, which is like kind of like the same deal where it comes like follow the energy, where like thing when it comes to like a li- like a job or like things you want to do in life, um, you want to find something in the intersection of something you're good at, something you're passionate about, and something that you can, like, make money off of. Right. Um, and so it's, like, it's kind of, like, common sense things that would, like, you would think would be, like, self-evident, but sometimes in, like, with, I feel, in, like, common life, like, everyone's head's, like, all over the place, and maybe you don't actually just logically think about small things like that in your life. Right. And I think him just, like, pointing it out yeah, to you. Yeah, slow it down, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Slow it down for just him pointing it out. It's like, oh, okay, like, this makes sense. Like, right. this is so logic logical. And you mentioned before... Are we before we started recording that you're going to work at Reebok, right, up yeah. in Boston? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like that intertwining of your passion, right? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're yeah, good exactly. At, yeah. Especially with the whole CrossFit, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how did you exactly get into CrossFit? I know it was while you were, you know, searching or following the energy. Yeah. But like, who did you meet that was like, yeah, we should try this workout or whatever? Yeah. So. Um, so mine's a little different. Usually almost every CrossFit story, usually it's like, oh, my one friend told me about this crop, this workout that we should try. Um, but no, so mine, so even after football ended for me, I still, for the next two years, I still train with the team. Um, it's kind of like Corey said, where it's like my whole identity, it's like all I did in my life was just train for football. And it's like, when that was gone, I didn't know what else to do. So I just kept training for, with right, the football team. Right, you play, yeah. Yeah. But, I did um, a similar thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? So yeah, so. Um, I did that, but, like, after, like, the first year was fine, but the second year, I'm like, okay, like, I'm just going through the motions. Like, I'm not fighting There's for anything. There's no reward, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's, like I've, like, it's like I don't have, like, a like a mental goal. I'm, like, 
working towards. Yeah. Um, and then one day I found out there was a gym like right outside of campus, and I was like, ooh, like I've seen that on ESPN. That looks really cool. Like I want to go try this out. Rich Froning. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. And um, and I'm, I went like tried it, and I just like fell in love. I love like the energy, like the loud music, like people just going after it, like throwing down, and just fell in love with it from there. I fell in love the same way, but <laughs> unfortunately, my knee didn't really last too long, so I might have to follow a different energy. Right. Yeah, else. but judge, judging by the stature that you guys both have, maybe I need to start getting into CrossFit, I guess. Not well, not just you, the... You have the athletic training and um, what is it? The the kinesiology type background, so <laughs> right. maybe you can prevent those injuries right, from happening. Maybe, so not, like, maybe not be big like you guys, but yeah. maybe help You'd other people. You'd have awesome form. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to backtrack a little bit, though, and get back to, because I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier. I think that you're kind of at a stage where you don't realize how much your story can have an impact on others. And, I, you know, I think that, like I was telling you before, I was in that stage also where I kind of was just going through the motions and I did what I thought was right. Um, and I think you're kind of in that stage right now where you, you don't realize how much of an impact your story could have. Um, so I think once, you know, we'll talk, I do want to, we'll get to the documentary that they did on your story. Um, I think that once that gets out there and more people see that, um, you're really going to start having people come up to you and say, you know, listen, man, like I heard your story. It's, you know, very in- inspiring. I watched, I personally, I watched the documentary last night. Uh, and I got to say, I was inspired and I've been talking to you about it all morning. Yeah. Um, Thanks, so, sorry. I, so I think, uh, I, I think that once we get that and I'm going to post, uh, Kevin and I are both going to uh, post that on our, uh, Instagram and Facebook pages. Cause I think it's a documentary half hour long that, you know, everyone needs to see. Um, I think you're going to start getting comments and people are going to ask you, um, you know, h- how did you overcome that? So my, my specific question now is if someone came up to you as a stroke survivor, you know, something very serious. And they said, uh, what's your one key to overcoming, you know, any obstacle? What would you, what would you say it would be? Huh? Good question. I mean, honestly, I think I kind of like touched on this earlier where it's like the hardest part for me was the psychological part of it. And, um, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of hard. Cause like everyone will tell me, it's like, Oh, it's going to be okay. It's okay. And I'm like, well, you don't. Everything happens for a reason. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I mean, some. I mean, some people they have like a like a religious like background that that's the case. And for me, not so much. And so it was hard for me. And I don't know. It like pretty much. I guess where it comes down to is that I was able to kind of. Like, I guess like before, I would that would need control over like everything in my life. And that was the first time where I was like, okay, like I lost it all. And I think. Right. It kind of it kind of forced me to be like okay with that. It forced me to be like let go of everything. It's not care about everything and not that not to care, but not to be like so stringent about everything. Right. And I guess I I guess the one thing I would say is like you have to kind of like understand like life's gonna happen and you have to be okay with that. Like some things are gonna be some things you're not gonna like and you're gonna have to like be like okay like I okay you have to. You have to accept life. You can't right. control what happens to you, but you can always control how you respond. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Time. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You um, can't. Yeah. yeah. And you, just you, in, go ahead. Go ahead. Just in general, I guess you have to like, it's like, I don't know, because like sometimes it seems like life was like planned by some like ultimate being type deal, right. I feel like. And I guess sometimes you have to like accept it, be like, okay, like that's it. Like I'm going to do the best I can with this, enjoy this life the best I can type of deal. So I'm a big uh, poker player, so I like to say so <laughs> you can't control the cards you dealt, but you can control how you play those cards, yeah. right? 
So I think, you know, getting back to, you know, my question, I just think that's something that you're not even aware of yet is how many people are going to look at you as an inspiration and they're going to look at you and say, you know, I'm going through this obstacle right now. How, you know, can you help me get through this? Um, you know, I know personally I, I like to go and give talks and, you know, like I was telling you before, I think once you realize just how much of an impact your story can have on others, uh, you know, I, I just feel like you're, you're going to want to explore that and, you know, talk to as many people as you could. So, you know, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I just, you know, I, like I said, you're just in that stage right now where I don't think you realize just how much your story is going to help others. And, you know, Kevin and I are definitely going to, you know, that's why we're here to, you know, get your story out there. Um, yeah, like I appreciate it. Like I said, I, I don't know exactly what I'd, how I'd want to approach that, but I feel it would be really nice to like use my story to like help others. So, yeah, definitely agree. And we're doing it right now. Right. <laughs> um, did any cool experiences come out of your uh, stroke? Like, did you get to meet anyone cool? or? Yeah, a couple things. So, um, so honestly, I thought this was like a prank phone call at first, but um, Teddy Bruschi reached out to me. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so he, if anyone doesn't know, like, he was a Super Bowl winning linebacker for the Patriots, and he actually had a stroke as well, and he was able to go back and play. So, um, actually, a Princeton alumni told him about it, and he reached out to me and talked to me for, like, um, actually, like, like 45 minutes, like an hour. He was on oh, the phone. Oh, wow. awesome. Yeah, wow. and he pretty much, in general, like, his main message was, like, don't focus too much on the stuff you can't control, like, in your current situation. Focus on the things that you can control, and... Like, that's the only thing you can really do. You have to accept right. the things you can't control, right. certain things in your life. So that was a really cool experience. I kind of – I got to go talk at a couple, like, different um, events and whatnot, and that was really cool. But, yeah, but definitely the biggest thing was I got to, like, talk, like yeah, – just talk to Teddy Brucey for, like, an hour. So that was really cool. People would pay a lot of money. Yeah, to that's amazing. <laughs> that's and then actually, actually, I forgot about this. Um, Andy Reid also wow. – he, he sent a letter – with his condolences and stuff like that um, when he was with the Eagles. So that was really cool, too. Awesome. That's, that's um, amazing. What do you miss most about football? Definitely the contact. I don't I don't know exactly what it is, but, like, I just, like it was always, like, a natural high to me to be able to, like – Run someone over and then look mm -hmm. at him after. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. It's, like, with, especially because, like, I was a running back. And it was just – it was, like, an awesome, like, feeling where you kind of have that, like, unvincible, like, unstoppable type feeling. Um and that phys I don't know, the physical contact is just like a natural high type thing, and that's what I definitely miss the most. I mean, I can, like I said, I can work I I can work out as much as I can now, but it's just a it's a different type of natural high. Right. Um. So, what are your goals for the future? For the future, I don't know. So, <laughs> the one thing I kind of realized from the stroke is that I I'm almost like not scared to plan like like future goals, but I'm just like. It, it questions if I really like if I set future goals. I'm like, do I really want to do that or not? Type of deal, I guess. So I don't know. So like you said, I'm working at Reebok. So um, I was really happy with that. I'm gonna be at a job where I feel like I'm gonna be very passionate about it, like very excited for it. Um, uh, when it comes to like CrossFit and that, I just wanna just keep doing it. I like I, whenever I always, I always kind of say this. Like whenever I like go to CrossFit, I feel like I'm, like, a kid on, like, in, like, recess again. It's just, like, it's where it's, like, playing, like, pickup sports or something. It's just, yeah, it's like... gym class for adults. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> and I don't know. It's, like, right now, I don't have any, like, not so much. In the past, I used to have, like, more, like, CrossFit-related goals, but a lot, right now, it's more, like, I just want to keep doing things. Let's all, again, it's just, like, follow the energy thing. I just want to keep doing things that I right. really enjoy doing. Um, and yeah. go from there. I think when you have experiences like we've had, like these yep. near-death experiences, right. absolutely, you don't want to waste your time doing something you don't want to do, or yeah, you know, right? Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of like uh, you know, in your case, you you know, you were this star athlete. You know, you come 
uh, to Princeton to play football. And then all of a sudden you have this, you know, life altering experience. Um, you know, so things don't always, you know, as all three of us know, things don't always go the way they're planned. So a lot of times, you know, even though setting goals is important, you know, saying that 100% you're going to do one thing five years from now, who knows, because the next second, you know, things could change. And I think that's something that all three of us understand. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, we're going to start wrapping this this thing up here. I could um, talk all day with this. It's been awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's been an awesome time so far. So I got this question from Lewis House. It's another podcast. He has a podcast called The School of Greatness. If you guys like this podcast, you might like um, his podcast too. But he started asking this question at the end. I love it. So if you were forced to tattoo one word on your forehead um, that you had to look in the mirror every single day, like backwards, you know, on your forehead so that you oh, saw what it said, what, what would that one word be? Um, I don't know. It would have to be it would have to be something on the lines of like in like enjoyment or like passion or something like that. Just probably one of those two, something along those lines. Or if I allowed you three words, you could say, follow the energy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah seriously. <laughs> but no, just something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> count. I had to count something along those lines though. Cause like I, cause I said like sometimes like if you hashtag it, you could probably make it one word. <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's go, let's go with that. Does that count? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I don't know. Cause like sometimes when I would train for like football now, it's like, I'm just kind of doing this to like get, the success like get right. the award but like but like after like the life loss or experience it's just like i just i just like i just want to even if i'm like working for something i just want to really enjoy what i'm doing right so right. it something along those lines yeah all right um what would your best day ever consist of best day aside ever. from doing a podcast with uh, <laughs> kevin, two awesome kevin dudes, yeah. and Corey Weissman. <laughs> yeah do that over breakfast <laughs> it's not a bad idea <laughs> i don't know i like i'm a very adventurous dude so like it would have to be like a combination of like like I would love to like do like quick like class crossfit workout in the morning and then like go oh, and never guess that <laughs> and then go like go like surfing with some like buddies in the afternoon and like go like mountain biking at night or something like that or throw some I know Corey's a huge golfer like right. throw that in there like I've just I just love being active like moving around so it would like if I have like like all day just like playing sports or doing something like that like I would love it it's like yeah you, good you day for me you don't seem like the type to sit in front of the TV and play no. video games all day no I mean oh, there are some Xbox controllers yeah, I'm right a huge uh, NHL fan when it comes to like video games so I'll play that like maybe like 20 minutes every other day or something like that but nah oh. I, I don't just I just I don't I don't like uh -oh. game out this yes. is a question that I Oh. Yes, NBA 2K16 <laughs> here. We might have to uh, throw down. Uh, I'm set that set that up after the podcast. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm horrible. I'm so bad at 2K. <laughs> the anti hockey. Uh, I forgot to ask this question before. Were there any athletes when you were growing up that you looked up to? Yeah. So actually, growing up, I was never really besides I was a huge Penn State football fan. But other than that, I didn't really have like a team. I mainly liked athletes. Like. I was a huge fan of Marshall Falk and Mike Allstott, like, growing up. Those were, like, the two that I Allstott, really... Allstott, the bruiser. Yeah. I was a big fan of both of them uh, growing up. So, it was, like, growing up, those were the two ones I really looked up to. Cool. What was it about them that you looked up to? Was it, like, their style of play or how they carried themselves off the field? Well, honestly, I, when I was a fan... I, I was, like, in elementary school, like, when I liked them. So... It wasn't so much off the field because I didn't really. Oh yeah, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> it was just it was just like I I don't know it was just something about like their playing ability that I really liked. Cool. Uh, what three things are you most grateful for? One is definitely my like emotional health, my my psyche. Like I said earlier, like I like if it wasn't for Jared and like me learning from him, like I'd be really scared of like I would I I just couldn't imagine what my life would be like without that. Um, second would be like the ability of like 
my ability to like move. Like I said, I love like just being at like active. So like, um, like Corey, how he had to go through the physical deficits. I was like very grateful that I didn't have to deal with that. And I was able to keep that ability. And then three, it's like family, but not just family in general, just like my support system. Cause like, I mean, it's, I mean, the going through the process, it was like lonely and like, th- like thankfully for them, like, I don't know, like what I would be right now. So just friends, family in general, it's just life's a lot better when you're not alone. Right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Absolutely. Cool. Last question. It's my signature. What's your personal definition of perseverance? You can give like a football analogy if you'd like. Personal definition of perseverance. So let's see here. So I guess, okay, this whole like show, I keep talking about like following the energy and things like that. But and sometimes though in life, like you just have to kind of gut it out. Like I, like for me, like, did I like doing all those like speech therapy sessions? No, but I knew like I just needed to, I really wanted my ability to communicate with others again. So if I do that, like I needed to gut it out and get those sessions done. Kind of like how you said, it's like third down. It's like, you know, you get the ball, you know, you're going to get the ball. You just have to do what you need to do. Um, so I guess in general, sometimes like, sometimes there are going to be situations in life where you don't want to do the things to get the things you do want. Right. And I think your ability to lower your shoulder, kind of like shut your brain off and get through those aspects of life to get what you want. Like that's what you need to do. However, at the same time, like you can't approach life like that a hundred percent. It's like, I guess it's like one of the things you need in your toolbox. It's like sometimes you just need to lower yeah, your shoulder like that, and yeah. do it. Um, and you also, I guess the ability to know what those situations are. But when too. your brain's bleeding, then don't do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly. You have, to, you, have to, you have to know the situation as right. well. Right. Awesome. Um, any last remarks or? I mean, I just have to say it's been a pleasure, you know, getting to know you today and hearing your story. And I, I think the most, you know, that I'm going to take away from this is we really need to get your story out there. Uh, you know, the document, you're, you're very fortunate. You have that uh, documentary, you know, something that it's legit. Some, someone could sit down for a half hour, watch it, you know, become inspired and look at their obstacles that they're facing in their life and, you know, see that there's other people out there that are facing obstacles. Um, I know from, you know, a couple of years of experience having, uh, you know, my movie out there, um, uh, you know, just having people reach out to me and, you know, ask for advice and just say that they saw my story. You know, like I said, it's just something that I think you're, you don't realize yet. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, one thing that I'm, I, th- I, I see myself working pretty hard at right now is going to be posting a lot and getting your story out there and, uh, you know, seeing how we could get you to, you know, help people because your stories, you know, it's an amazing, amazing story. And it's been a pleasure, you know, being on here with, uh, Kevin. And also I just, you know, I love what, you know, you're doing with the podcast. I think it's great just having a podcast, trying to Thanks. gather people with, you know, inspiring stories and helping people, you know, overcome obstacles. I think it's just you know, it's an amazing idea that you came up with and something that could help a lot of people. And, you know, you should be proud of, you know, where Heads and Tails has is, is gone. Thanks, Corey. I appreciate you taking the time out to join Chuck and I. I know the episode wouldn't be as good if it weren't for that. You're able to relate to Chuck in ways that I couldn't do. Um, and thanks, Chuck, for your time. And congrats early on graduating from Princeton. That's an awesome feat, especially after Absolutely. going through what you went through. Um, and for the listeners out there, definitely go over to headsandtails.org backslash podcast uh, where you can find detailed show notes of this episode along with Chuck's football highlights and the documentary called uh, When the Game Ends. So I'll see you guys next week. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.